0: All right, let's make a podcast. This episode is sponsored by FrontEnd Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Codeship.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your test pass? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's Codeship. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically for fuss-free continuous delivery. Check them out at Codeship.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Component 1, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to Widgmo.com and check them out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Episode 132 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance... Hello friends, Joe Eames,
1: Hey, acquaintances, <laughs> so formal, <laughs> it's a while to be Joe's friend.
0: It's, it was honest. <laughs> Dave Smith, hello world, and Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and uh, this week we have a special guest and that's Craig Makichi, did I yes. totally slaughter you, your name? You did not, you said it perfectly. Yay! Do you want to introduce yourself, Craig?
2: Sure. You know, I'm a web developer like everybody else. I like to say for at least 15 years so that I don't age myself too much. Uh, mostly I've been like on the Microsoft.net stack. Uh, I dabbled a little bit in Ruby in particular when, uh, you know, ASP.net MVC came around and sort of copied it for all intents and purposes. A lot of that time I was a consultant. I worked for startups and bigger enterprises and so forth. But I've always been interested in uh, writing and teaching so about a year ago, I wrote a blog post on uh, choosing an NBC framework, and it basically it went viral and on the internet, got about a 1,000 shares, hundreds of comments, and I decided at that point that I wanted to write a book on that and uh, went crazy and quit my job and thought, oh, I can have this done in three months, and uh, seven or eight months later, I finished it. So, uh, <laughs> Hey, that's, that's still a
3: really good time. Congratulations.
2: <laughs> no kidding.
1: Yeah, Where wow. were you working before this?
2: Uh, My last place of employment was Quantum Health. It's a company. I live in uh, Columbus, Ohio. It's a growing company there, rapidly growing company there. I was a consultant for different consulting companies there in town.
0: So really quickly before we get started, I have two announcements. The first one is is that we've partnered with JavaScript Now, uh, which is a job board, Uh, So if you need to find a job, go check them out at javascriptnow.com. Also, if you're going to list a job, you can go to javascriptnow.com and enter the coupon code JavaScriptJabber, and what you get is you get $40 off your listing. And the basic listing is $40, so you essentially get it for free with the coupon, or you can do the hot jobs posting option, which is $80, and you get that for $40 because you get $40 off. So go check that out. The other announcement I have is that I am organizing a conference. It's an online conference. The idea is is that a lot of people can't go to conferences because they can't afford to travel or they can't afford to take the time off. And so if you are interested in a conference where you have to do neither of those things, um, my tagline is sort of you can attend in your pajamas. It's going to be JS Remote Conference, and you can find it at jsremoteconf.com. It's going to be in the evening three nights a week for two weeks. We're going to have two hours of talks each night. And I'm also offering a user's group option. So if you want to get your own ticket and then watch it at home, that's fine. If you don't think you can make it all three nights to whatever venue your user's group is going to put it on, then you can pick one up. Or if you're a user's group organizer, then you can get the user's group rate and then you can host it somewhere where people can come and gather and watch it as part of your user's group. So if you're interested in any of, any of that, go ahead and check it out at jsremoteconf.com.
1: So I don't know how to ask this delicately. Uh-huh. Were you independently wealthy when you quit your job? How did you support <laughs> yourself by writing a book for seven months?
2: You, know, you always ask the first question and always ask the best one. So I have to, have to say I've never that <laughs> listening to the episodes. I'm a big fan <laughs> of the show. But I, I would say I'm far from independently wealthy. I've sort of dabbled in entrepreneurial stuff for a few years. So I think it was just time to kind of to make the leap. And as far as the financial stuff goes, I'll just say my wife has a good job and so the only thing holding me back for years was really you know just making the leap we were a kind household. of a,
1: a cushion, I guess.
2: Yes, exactly. So I'm cool. uh, my startup is funded by my wife. Yes. This is true. <laughs> she is your venture <laughs> capitalist. So <laughs> that's my, correct. the
3: second the second question I have is why do financially independent people always say that they're not financially independent?
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyone can be financially independent if you're willing to live at a certain standard of living
2: like well not anyone that's Employee it I'm buying Refix, a I nice say. tent yeah I, I totally agree with that statement yes
0: so before we get too far into this you mentioned that you have a discount code for your book and i'd like you to be able to share that for anyone who is interested in buying it do you want to just give that out real quick
2: Sure. So I set up a special page for JavaScript Jabber listeners. My blog's at funnyant.com, and I can talk about why that is in a second, but it, that's funnyant.com slash jabber. If you go there, for about a month or so, I'll leave up a, a 20% discount off the book If you if after we talk about it a little bit more, you're interested in it. Just at a high level, I mean, obviously it's about choosing a JavaScript framework. It's sort of addressed to be an unbiased sort of journalistic perspective on the framework's and builds the same apps uh, 37 signals basecamp type clone app i didn't build the whole thing in case anybody wants to ask that question but uh i did build a decent amount of functionality more than you know your average to do
0: app out there in the book in all three frameworks so that's the gist of it yeah well you you know the steps to building basecamp right step 1 start working on it step 2 invent rails step 3 <laughs> i'm just kidding Profit. <laughs> That's Profit. right. Profit, indeed. No, it
2: just gave me, you know, I find, you know, from my corporate and consulting experience, you spend a lot of time working on uh, gathering requirements and him hawing about how the screen is going to look or that screen. And it gave me this well-defined sort of set of requirements to build something against. And so after a while of fiddling around different ideas, I said, I'm just going to do this because all I have to do is go back and look at the app again. And, and I have my answer as far as my requirements go. So. That's a
1: great idea. I find that when I am trying to play with something and trying to invent a real world project for it, I spend more time on the real world project than learning the technology. Like if my goal is just to learn the tech, then that's a bad thing,
2: right? And it also kind of forced me into corners of the framework that you know maybe I wouldn't have before. Like for example, when you get to you know given to do or uh, you need to assign it, you know like a due date and maybe you wouldn't put the date picker in or make the date picker behave in just the same way that it does in 37 signals but it's a it's a pretty reasonably complex aspect so that kind of threw me a couple challenges which i you know i liked in the process interesting so
1: you already mentioned a little bit of the audience or did i invent that in my head did you talk about the audience for the book yet
2: yeah i mean that's a good question i think i really wrote it for myself you know it's sort of scratching your own itch right I'm this guy working at Quantum Health, right? And you get to a certain point in your career and things keep changing and things keep changing. And you, you just learned, you know, Rails and ASP.NET MVC. And now there's this JavaScript revolution coming at you. And not only is it coming at you, but there's, you know, three or four different frameworks and a language that you're possibly not very good at coming at you. So I wrote it for the person who, you know, feels like they can't really keep up. We're having a hard time keeping up with all the evolution happening in, in JavaScript. Uh, so rapidly and kind of wondering, you know, hey, is this framework going to be around in another year? What are the real pros and cons of this? Because there's a whole lot of, you know, people giving you one side of the story, but not a whole lot of sort of unbiased, you know, at least attempting to be unbiased, you know, looks at, at the frameworks and saying, you know, this one's got a, an awesome router, but this one, you know, doesn't have data binding, you know, that
0: sort of thing. I have to point out, you said three or four frameworks, and said, this must be an old book, <laughs> right? Right now, why do you say that, Chuck? Well, I'm starting a new framework ne- now. I'm just kidding. Next week, I was <laughs> going to say, but <laughs> oh, exactly
4: right.
3: You haven't, you didn't cover 70, Chuck, right? JS. Oh, yeah. was was Chuck JS. Oh yeah, legitimate. was a
2: legitimate problem. I'm sorry to talk over there, but this was a legitimate problem when I was writing the book: was where to draw the line. The book is, you know, focused on Backbone, Angular JS, and Ember. Um, and when I started, it was, it, you know, included Durandal and it included CanJS and uh, maybe a few more that were, you know, on my periphery there that I was uh, talking about. Um, I do touch on, uh, uh, knockout a bit in the book as well, but you know, it, it definitely is a challenging aspect of, of writing this book. In fact, I think, you know, if I just would have written something on Angular, You know, I could have gone a little bit deeper, but, you know, I'm wondering if I couldn't have finished in that three or four months, you know, working on it full time. But given the, I think it took me quite a bit longer to kind of try to grok all of them.
1: So you brought up an interesting point. I I feel like in a lot of ways, technology is a popular culture in that things get popular because of tastemakers and for social reasons in some ways more than for purely I don't know the right word. I don't know more than which thing is absolutely the best. It's which thing has a culture of influential people around it. And the idea of of looking at these things in a purely technical stance, instead of just saying, who do I follow on Twitter? What's the framework they like the most is really interesting. Do you feel like you can come up with an answer about which one is the best for your problems? Or is it just a comparison and, and you leave it up to the reader?
2: You know, I try in the last chapter to really give, it's called recommendations in the last chapter, and I try to really give some opinions, but I don't go as far as to say, you know what, sorry you read the book because it is Angular, just like you thought.
1: Spoiler.
2: I try to look at it more like, you know, it depends on what situation you're in, really. You know, to be honest, I really had a hard time warming up to, to Backbone, But the more I like kind of pushed myself to come on, like there are a lot of people who really like this framework, like, what is it, you know, put yourself in their shoes, what are they seeing, you know, in this framework, and I think I finally got it. So you know, I could make some good recommendations. For example, one thing I say about Backbone is, you know, let's say I hear a lot of people are like, well, I don't know if my company will approve this JavaScript framework or that one, you know, I don't know which is the official one. But you know, as as light as Backbone is, if your jQuery code is getting to be a bit of a mess, you know, it, uh, as small as as the framework is and sort of unobtrusive as it is, you know, I would just, you know, no one has any problem like including jQuery in their project. They don't ask for corporate permission on that anymore, right? And I kind of feel like, you know, if you're in one of those places where, you know, you feel like you need to ask permission and you don't have enough time to, you know, run up the ladder, I would say, you know, it may not be up and you're in a you know, a brownfield legacy application, it may be a really good choice to just stick in Backbone and uh, start improving, refactoring your jQuery code and making it a little more manageable.
4: Backbone,
3: the stealth MVC.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I really agree with that statement just because Backbone itself, like you said, is small, but it's minimal as well. You can stick it in and it can just exist on a, In a couple little places on a couple little pages, and nobody will know if they don't go in there and look at that one specific spot that Backbone's in there. Not that you may be hiding it, but it just—it doesn't have to affect a lot of things when you add it in,
2: right? And I think you know, no one really says that, right? No one says, you know, hey, these are different things. Like another way to say that same thing is, you know, Backbone has always called itself a library. You know, Angular and Ember call themselves frameworks, and there's a reason. You know, one is this small thing that's trying to help you out, right? And the other are more overarching things that are, you know, trying to be a a framework for building a a full application. Right.
1: I wanted to go back to what you said about this being written for the developer that's maybe feeling like there are too many options out there to consider all of them carefully, and they they would like someone to give a higher level overview of them. I feel like it's not cool in some ways to not pick one and be part of like the community and Ember or Angular, you know, you want to call yourself an Angular developer, because then you're part of a tribe, a lot of people identify with you and you have this shared identity and, and culture, not just shared technology. But I, I think there's this silent majority of people that are maybe lagging behind the cutting edge a little bit because they're building things that haven't needed to be client side MVC frameworks yet. So I feel like there's definitely an audience for this that isn't addressed by some of the other blog posts that are, or, or tutorials out there that are kind of like, check out this hot new thing. It's so cool, right. amazing, and, and kind of uh, going more for a novelty and cutting edge.
2: No, I like, totally agree with what you're saying. And yeah, yeah. it's sort of a related and erotic story is that, you know, I get done with the book and, and the first thing I, you know, I send it out and I'm like, what questions do people have? You know, here's the book, you know, what, what questions do you have when I'm I'm trying to launch the book? A few months ago, and the most common thing I got asked was, "What about React JS?" Right? Because <laughs> uh, people would have fit that did you in. Just so, sigh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote a, a blog post called "What Is React JS," <laughs> but yes, I did sigh deeply and uh, and so forth. So, it's it's uh kind of you know. So, I just feel like you know, you almost have to be sort of superhuman to to keep up with all this stuff. And you do, so just, yeah, you know. yeah. Oh, and
1: man, that's so true. I've felt. Bad because I couldn't keep up before. And I've had people tell me things like, oh, you can't understand this, like in a kind of disbelieving way. Like, no, I can't understand. I looked at it for five minutes as one of the hundred other things I'm trying to look at.
3: Yeah. You know, in all the time I've been doing software development, I have never seen such a breakneck pace in new framework adoption and the birth and death of frameworks. Oh, it is just crazy how fast it happens in this community.
4: Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. I was just listening to the, you know, famous episode from you guys, which is a very similar thing to React and you can see it being, you know, the next thing. And it's uh so it just keeps going. It's not it's great great yep. that the innovation's happening, but it is is overwhelming for for yeah, the people in so the trenches. So,
3: so um can I ask a question also about the book? Uh obviously it goes into the technology of each framework and talks a little bit about here's how you do this and this framework and that and this framework. But when you're choosing a framework, you're not just choosing technology that you'll use as a developer. You're actually picking some other stuff that I kind of call framework meta, like a community. I mean, you're picking a community, you're picking a culture of people who you're going to be interacting with and getting help from. You're picking a stack overflow section, you know, where basically are (coughs) questions going to be answered or not. Do you go into that in the book and talk about those kinds of meta around each framework?
2: Definitely. In fact, even my first blog post that I put out there, if you just you know, go to Funny Ant and look around for choosing an MVC framework. There's quite a bit of information sort of around that. And I've sort of expanded upon that chapter from that article from the book. But a couple of things that really seemed to hit home with people when I mentioned them was this idea of, you know, understanding, you know, usually an open source project has a couple people who are the leaders and kind of understanding what their background is. And honestly, uh, the JavaScript Jabber podcast was a big help in me doing the research on some of these things, for instance example maybe you guys know episodes off your head but the early angular js episode with igor and um Miskoff. Sure? Yeah. yeah yeah exactly that early episode was just great for i mean they literally said i mean here are some google guys and they came out and said silverlight and wpf were inspirations for this framework mm-hmm. right and all right thick- i give up on it now <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think some of that stuff is just very, very insightful. And then, you know, just knowing that they're at Google, they're in this, you know, high, you know, it's a big Java environment, right? And the Java guys love their dependency injection, their IOC containers and so forth, uh, like Juice, right? And they mentioned Juice as being one of the big influencers on your show. Just stuff like that where it's like, you know, hey, where is this coming from? You know, same thing goes for Ember, you know, with the big influence from the Rails community, from Yehuda Cats and so forth. You guys had some great episodes where, in particular, you've mentioned it, I think, on your, your recap episode where, I'm sorry, Yehuda Katz and uh, Jeremy Ashkenis are on the same episode sort of going back and forth about uh, the frameworks. I believe it's the backbone episode, actually, but really insightful into like, you know, where they're coming from, you know, what they believe in, you know, how opinionated or unopinionated Do they believe in convention over configuration? Are IOC containers important to them? Do they like declarative programming like WPF or Flex or Silverlight, you know, as Angular does, right? Things like that, quite insightful. I'm kind of running through it a little little fast there, but there's definitely
0: aspects of that in the book. We could talk a little bit more about that if you want. The thing that I'm really curious about, and I think the thing that people ask is what does differentiate it as far as when I go in... On my day-to-day stuff, you know, what am I going to notice when I start using one framework over another? And I think it depends on what your background
2: is. You know, for example, if you're a Rails guy, you're probably going to really warm up to Ember, right? I mean, this is something that's kind of obvious and out there, but I mean, the APIs look very familiar to Rails APIs. If you're a WPF, Silverlight, or Flex person who's been kind of left behind by the fact or, or even a Flash developer who's been you know, used to sort of uh more declarative programming, um you're going to warm up to, you know, the Angulars
0: of the world a little bit more, perhaps the Embers, right? Stuff like that. I mean, there are all kinds of different ways that they approach problems, too. Do you find that one framework is necessarily better than another at a particular problem? Yeah, so, yes, I
2: think there's cases I come up with. For example, um you know, let's say you've got a heavy investment in jQuery UI plugins, and you, you really you know, like your jQuery UI and your your whole app is themed in jQuery UI, I think you're going to have an easier time interoperating with those plugins either in the Ember world or especially easy time, you know, using Backbone kind of depends on on which pieces you're focused on. You know, if you know, like the jQuery UI, I'm trying to think of another example of where a framework would stand out. So let's say your UI is very complex and, and compositional. Like in other words, you have a lot of widgets on the page, sidebars, uh, headers, and they, you know, need to intercommunicate with things. You know, one thing that's talked about a little bit, but not a ton is that I, with Angular JS, basically the out-of-the-box router is not in the box anymore. It's, you know, was taken out of, as of, you know, one, one, six of the framework. Most people say, you know, one, two of the framework. And most people in the real world use the Angular UI router when they're building their Angular apps because it allows them to sort of the story that uh, Ember likes to tell because it's a weakness of Angular is, you know, their router story and how good their URLs are. And something that kind of goes with that is this. They give the example all the time of you have a list of blog posts and when you click on one of them, you know, you go to the detail, but the list is still on the page. You know, maybe the list is on the left and the detail is on the right. I think this is their basic tutorial. And then you go to edit a blog post and you're in yet another third state. You know, in order for you to keep the code that builds the list sort of reusable across, say, three views, the initial one that just shows the list, the second one that shows the detail, and the third one that replaces the detail with the edit, you'd like to just keep that list code in one place. Well, with Angular out of the box, you know, this is without the UI router, this is not possible, which is why, you know, well, I won't say it's not possible. You can use NG includes and, you know, I tried to stay away from, you know, third party things that sort of unlevel the playing field between the the frameworks. So what I found myself doing in something more complicated, like the Basecamp example, where there's nested hierarchies within hierarchies, and you really want to componentize the pieces is, you know, keeping one view and having multiple controllers off that same view, but, you know, if I refactored that using the Angular UI router, the code would come out to look a lot more like the Ember code, and uh, it would use this sort of compositional, uh, this ability to compose views. I don't know if I went, I've thought a lot about that thing, and I kind of went fast through that. Is everybody following sort of what I'm saying there? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, totally. So that's another example. Let me see, try to think of a, a different one, you know, where's, so the router is a big deal, right? But, uh, you know, to be fair, this is being addressed in Angular, right? Um, yeah, very much they've, so. They've brought the, um, Rob, um, uh, somebody helped me out here from the Durandal project over. Oh, in I, Heisenberg. Heisenberg. Yeah. Um, we talked to him. On... I just said Heisenberg instead of Eisenberg. Is that pretty funny, guys? <laughs> that's <laughs> probably a compliment yeah. to him.
0: <laughs> Yeah, we talked to him on Adventures in Angular. So you can go and hear about some of that there. Cool. And yeah,
2: when you hear him talk, he's he's rewritten the the router there. And so they're, you know, they're recognizing, you know, what their weaknesses are. I, I guess, you know, another common one, it's kind of an obvious one, but, you know, if you're newer to the frameworks, is the whole testability story. So Tom Dale, who's, you know, with Yehuda, is one of the big public figures for the Ember project. And when people have asked him, hey, you know, say something nice about Angular or whatever, you know, what do you admire about Angular? you know, it's it's their testability story, right? And the dependency injection. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of people, you know, sort of warm up to the Angular world. It's not quite as hard to approach as Ember as well. But it is interesting to me that Ember is a very strong framework, how it is, at least appears kind of challenging to me in terms of just looking at raw popularity and community behind it, how it's, you know, been struggling to keep up.
3: As you are going through these frameworks, first of all, I think it's really cool that you did this because I don't know very many people who have built a as close to a real world project as you have in three different frameworks being able to do the same project. In fact, I don't know if I know anyone who's done that. So I think it gives you a really cool perspective. And I wondered, as you're going through this process, did you come up with a A handful, maybe three or four different questions that we can ask as developers when trying to choose a framework? Or did it end up being more complicated than just saying, hey, if you answer these three questions, you'll choose the right thing?
2: You know, that's interesting. What I did come up with was like a pro and con list. So you could kind of look at them and say, you know, hey, is this a deal breaker to me? Also, you know, in that last recommendations chapter, it's been a while since I've looked at it, to be honest, so I should be able to do this off my head. But I'm trying to remember how I approached it. And I think it was one thing that's helpful is this perspective of an evolution of these frameworks. And so that's one thing I like to go over because I think it's kind of an eye opener for people and I actually um, so I borrowed this from uh, a guy Brian Genisio who's a consultant that I've met up with a few times uh, nearby me in Michigan. So long story short, that the evolution in my mind kind of goes like this. So you have, first you had plain JavaScript and then it became too hard to work with the DOM so everybody stopped did very little JavaScript in their apps. Then DOM manipulation libraries came along, like, you know, MooTools, jQuery, Scriptaculous, you know, all the competitors. And jQuery kind of won that war. And people became sort of less afraid about working with the DOM. And then the next evolution, I feel like, was people started doing more, since they were less afraid of working with the DOM, the apps became more and more complex. And as the apps became uh, more and more complex, basically more and more complex from a JavaScript perspective. So people started not just loading some data via AJAX one time on a page, they started interacting with the page on the client. And then all of a sudden, you know, things started happening like the back button would break and and things like that. And their code kind of got into nested hierarchies of spaghetti with callbacks and so forth. So then there was a point where Knockout, you know, came along kind of angular at the same time i'm unclear as to you know who was really the innovator maybe one of you guys know uh, in terms of data binding right so people were writing a lot of boilerplate code and this idea of an automatic binding between the view and the model so that you don't spend all your time you know grabbing things by ids and setting properties on them and so forth came along and so that was sort of the next evolution was this you know knockout early angular phase and then you know i feel like the, the next phase was you know the angular js and ember where okay so there there's good libraries for data binding there's you know good libraries for dom manipulation and there's good libraries like there was good third party libraries like history js and uh, sammy js for just handling routing so just to be clear like you know routing is basically the mapping of it works just like a rails router or a asp.net mvc router or whatever your mvc framework on the server corresponds to it it maps a url or a route to some code at its, you know, basic, uh, level. It can get as complicated as being a full state machine as it is with the Angular UI router and with Ember. But, you know, that was the first evolution. And so people realized, Hey, my back button's breaking now that I'm doing more and more stuff in JavaScript. So now I need some frameworks. I need more than just these independent libraries. I'd like something more of a cohesive story. And that's where, you know, Angular JS and Ember came along and, you know, they give you in the backbones of the world that give you a router and they give you data binding with the exception of of out-of-the-box, you know, Backbone does not have data binding. And they give you routing, data binding, I'm trying to think uh, through it here in my head, Uh, models, you know, ability to sort of bring your your server-side model down to the client and have it be more like that domain or business model that you're used to, or at least a view model. So, you know, all that to say, I really like this sort of look at things as an evolution. So, you know, there was this first generation of frameworks and I think backbones in that. And that's why it became, you know, so, so popular. And I think, you know, then we hit a second generation of frameworks with AngularJS and Ember. And so it's kind of important to understand, you know, what you're getting for these frameworks because they did come about at different evolutions in the JavaScript world. And uh, who knows what the next evolution is. Maybe it's starting to be the reacts and the uh, famoses of the world. But I don't know if they're, you know, if that's just a different animal, you know, it's a different kind of library that we need to build applications. And then we'll need abstractions on top of those, like the Angulars of the world.
0: I think it's interesting, too, because that's more or less the path that I've followed in my own career. You know, I started writing uh, HTML and back when the web was pretty new and, you know, just played with it and got to know it a little bit and then uh, moved on from there to jQuery. And oh, my gosh, this is so nice, right? because it makes dealing with the DOM so much easier. And then um, I started to get into jQuery Spaghetti Land, you know, where jQuery is, it's super nice, but I wind up doing contortions in order to get everything that I want in there. And I've got this big, long mess of things that happen on certain events and stuff like that. And then Backbone comes along, and gee, it's real nice, because I can organize all of my code in these very nice structures. And then now you know, I'm getting into Angular JS and seeing all of the cool stuff that it can do and, you know, using pieces of it here and the entire framework there. And, and I think a lot of people have kind of moved along that way. And so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see that evolution in the world of JavaScript and, and kind of have been able to ride along with it.
2: Right. And I think just understanding, you know, so if you're on this you know to to answer the, the earlier question more directly now with that framework in mind if you're on this older legacy app that's you know really quite brownfield or you know worse right and you've got a lot of messy jQuery code in there like I said at the top of the episode it might be your path of least resistance to just you know get backbone in there and start you know refactoring some stuff if you're on a, a new project you know you really want to look hard at AngularJS or Ember I don't think you want to start a generation behind you know i hate to say that i'll probably get some hate mail but you know i think it is what it is right and then you know just looking at general pros and cons the other thing you really need to look at i think is your team right what kind of resources and background do you have do you have these javascript i shouldn't say the word ninjas or do you have these you know people who are really deep in javascript or do you have a bunch of flex developers on your project that you need to utilize or do you have a bunch of Silverlight, you know, developers, or do you have a bunch of Rails developers, in which case, you know, you might be leading towards the Emperor way. So looking at your resources and your team and how you might get them up to speed. And then, you know, you have to kind of look at the backings of these projects and and look at the communities and how strong they are, how easy it is to get an answer for a question. So I kind of go into all this stuff. I think, you know, one bottom line thing that nobody's really saying uh, that much, but you know, kind of needs to be said is I think I've heard Scott Hanselman perhaps, you know, hint at this at some point is this question of, is there going to be a winner in this world? Right. And is there going to be a winner like a jQuery winner? Right. Where all other things basically you, re- you end up rewriting with jQuery because it becomes so prominent. And I think that's a real consideration for people, you know, when you're looking at the future is is to think about whether it will be a world with angular and ember or whether you know angular will entirely overshadow it i don't think so given the strength of the rails community with ember but it's a legitimate concern cuz it's you know of the massive popularity of angular js
3: yeah i would go out on a limb to say that that is more of a concern in my opinion in this field than any other development area specifically web development because if i'm using some framework for like windows desktop application development there's a good chance it'll be supported for a long time and i can work around problems in the future but when a framework stops being updated because the developers have moved on to something it's only a matter of time before browsers leave it in the dust right i mean it could start doing things that are no longer supported especially in the very soon to arrive world of all evergreen browsers
2: right you know And in that vein, I mean, you really have to look at take a Durandal or something, you know, with Rob Eisenberg's, you know, project. And he's not really leaving that project behind. You know, he's managed to basically, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, he's, he's joined the Angular team as a consultant or contractor. And he's able to spend some time keeping the Durandal framework sort of in sync. And, you know, I, I think it's really there. You you hear him talk. It's really there to kind of keep the Angular team honest, right? Like if all of a sudden they're not taking. His ideas which he thinks are important into the angular framework and he puts them in durandal and they become popular you know it's sort of a nice litmus test you know the community giving feedback that hey you know this was important to us or you know this wasn't you know in that vein but i'd be hard-pressed to start a new project with durandal i hate to say it you know because of that because it feels like more you know knowing that he's on the angular team now you know um, that it's not not going to be supported but that, you know, it just doesn't feel like as much of a first-class citizen.
0: Well, the other thing is, is that I think the trade-offs in the different frameworks out there are more pronounced than maybe between jQuery and its competitors. And so you wind up solving problems in much more varied ways. So I honestly don't see those frameworks going away just because nobody's using them. I see them going away if they do because of what we're talking about here, project abandonment.
2: Right. I'm really hope, hopeful that that's the future because I think it's a it's a healthier ecosystem with, you know, multiple competitors in there and people pushing each other. Um, oh, yeah. Totally mm-hmm. agree. So,
3: I mean, look at the router, for example. I mean, the Angular team, Ember team said, oh, we got a better router. And Angular basically said, okay, well, we'll throw ours out and make it pluggable. And then poof, all these awesome routers started appearing, especially Mr. Eisenberg's, you know?
2: Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of things to consider there. Um, I could go through some general pros and cons. I think I feel like I kind of focus on the router, but there's there's a lot of other stuff you could talk about. So here's, you know, at a high level, some of my pros and cons that I keep a mental list of for, you know, Angular and Ember. A lot of it's redundant, but you you kind of get an idea, right? So a pro of Angular, as I've said, is testing. I think another pro is uh, productivity compared to something like Backbone, mostly because of the data binding, Right their vision with web components. In other words, you know, directives are pretty close to to web components in their vision. So they're kind of trying, at least making an effort, I don't know how well it's working, to foresee the future and, and work with the future of browsers. It's a bit of an evolution from jQuery. So you're kind of not writing any more jQuery code, whereas like in Backbone, jQuery is pretty in your face still. The one thing that I think a lot of people miss about Angular that makes it quite popular is how close to the metal it is. So I have never felt when I'm working with a framework more like I'm just writing HTML, including Ember than when I work with Angular. And I think that's why a lot of people warm up to it, right? Is that you just feel like you're writing HTML. And I think that that's, you know, an overlooked thing. So
5: that's, that's my main reason that I like Angular is to me, it feels like an evolution of jQuery. To me, Angular doesn't feel like a framework in the way that Ember does. To me, it seems like it's just getting the DOM out of my way even better than before.
0: Definitely, definitely, I agree with that. One thing that I'm a little curious about, and I don't know how deeply you've delved into all of these, but I've talked to Angular developers and I've talked to Ember developers in particular, especially one friend of mine who's who was an Ember champion for a long time. And then he's recently, you know, been thinking about moving away from it. But it seems like as you... Get deeper and deeper, deeper into these frameworks. A lot of times what you wind up finding is the edges. So you find the cases where the framework is now actively working against you because it's not what it was intended to do or it was not how it was intended to work. And I don't have specific examples of this, but I'm wondering, have you talked to people who have run into this and generally which frameworks tend to hold you up first?
2: I see what you're saying. You know, for me, that's a tough one. So you're saying, yeah, which ones do you hit those edges very, very quickly? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's a, it was a pretty even split between Angular and Ember for me on that. And I don't mean to just, you know, say that, but there were definitely edges in both of them where I felt like I was hitting the edges. I'll give you some concrete examples in Angular. I needed to set focus. So this is a very simple thing on its surface. But if the element on the page, you know, doesn't exist sort of when it's first rendered um, or is hidden, um, it becomes a lot more challenging. And there's a Stack Overflow post that's, you know, quite popular, you know, about sort of writing a service and a a directive that communicate with each other to solve this problem and, and get focus set in this scenario. And it was, you know, I was definitely hitting the edge there where, you know, something that just felt like it should be so easy wasn't. And Ember, you know, it was, it was different things, but I, but I hit edges like that. You know, if there's a framework I was more frustrated with, it was, you know, I, st- I'll be honest, I started with Angular and I'm not sure that was such a good idea. I kind of wish I had started with Backbone to give it more of a fair shake because like I said, it's just more of an abstraction, right? So you're immediately more productive, which isn't necessarily better, right? It's just, it is better to in some use cases but in others you know you need that close to the metal feeling so i think it's a lot easier to leak memory for example in backbone than it is with these other frameworks you know you can do it in any of them but i felt like there was so little opinion too and i think i'm just a person who prefers an opinionated framework so you know take this with a grain of salt but it was you know it was difficult to go with the loosey-goosiness of backbone because of that i think as far as hitting edges, you know, the edge with backbone, I think, you know, the the worst one to me was that it looks at the whole world like, you know, it's either a collection of items or individual items within that, um but there's no sort of concept of hierarchy out of the box without using um there's like a relational backbone relational plugin. So, you know, when working with something like the 37 signals, you know, you have a project which has a multiple lists inside of it which has multiple to-dos. It was challenging to make that work in this world that only sees things as lists and, you know, items, basically. Angular, I also ran into challenges with, uh, integrating jQuery controls. So this was, you know, a walk in the park in the backbone world, right? Because uh, integrating like a jQuery, like a calendar picker, like I talked about before. Whereas in, um, in Angular, you know, you have to basically at that point learn directives at a very low level to understand how to, get that control to play well in the data binding framework of angular which is oh, not a yeah. level you know 101 topic it's, it's yeah it's that's interesting very complex so you know i guess i hit edges on all of them you know, it's hard to say which one first i kind of gave ember by the time i was done i read the ember documentation like front to back for like a day or two um on top of what i had learned about it before and then when i sat down to write the app it's like i knew exactly where to go whenever i got into a problem so it probably went the smoothest of everything but it was difficult at first to understand if that makes sense like they have a lot of concepts like they literally say the controller you know who to cats i've heard them say the controller is the presentation model you know is the view model so here we have something named controller you know Mm -hmm. that is the presentation of the view model and this is difficult for you know people who want to relate to something they've uh uh, frameworks they've worked with before on the server or whatever this is difficult to relate back to right like to get through your head that this thing called a controller you know really has these automatically copied or referenced properties that make it sort of into a presentation model for you and then there's this whole idea of a route and a router and there's this new concept of route and i think it's a more robust way of building apps and uh I think it's a more robust framework in this, but it's very difficult to wrap your head around at first and get past that initial learning curve, at least I found.
1: So you mentioned documentation briefly. Can you compare the quality and the availability of documentation among the frameworks? Because it's a thing that doesn't seem as important when you start out with it and becomes more important the further you go.
2: Right. That's a good question. And it, there is a section in the book that covers that, but I'll at a high level, I'll go over here. Definitely. So it's funny because I had documentation as a con on the Angular JS. list. Let's start with that. because if you were digging around in an Angular a year ago, you know that basically, their documentation was like a forum, right? Like it wasn't very good. You know You, you would go to a page on a particular, particularly around the API on a particular topic. And then you would have a ton of comments from people say, you know, re, trying to reword the documentation to communicate to what it was. Now, long story short, that's gotten better. So they totally redone the documentation. It's a lot better now. I'd almost say it's probably the best of the three frameworks. Although, you know, Embers, like, you know, walkthroughs and tutorials and API documentation is really great. I think where they fall down is just since they were later to the game and since they have, you know, a big community but smaller than Angular's, if you go to try to find something on Stack Overflow, since they reworked some of their APIs, you know, you basically run into old outdated information quite frequently and you know, you don't get there's just not as large a pool of people to quickly give you an answer, you know, is sort of what I found in the Ember world, you know, even though that community's big, that was sort of my experience. So it was like the documentation was awesome as far as what was there but when you got to the edges and then you needed to look something up it felt a little like a wasteland sometimes like you couldn't find it or you'd only find outdated information that was challenging i mean this is you know at this point this was you know three or four months ago so you know it's always an evolving thing and and hard to keep up on but um that's it
3: so craig if you were going to write this book today would you pick the same three frameworks that's interesting
2: that's a very good question I think if I were going to write this book I would not pick the same three frameworks but I wouldn't because I think they're outdated I would do it to future proof cuz I'd know that it would take me another 6 or 8 months to write the book so by then you know I would be trying to predict you know where the world would have gone but as far as the pool of MVC frameworks that were there in the first place I would pick the same ones but I think there's some interesting stuff going on I'm still trying to entirely appreciate it with with React and famous and so forth, particularly like realizing the world's becoming a more and more mobile place. I think that, uh, you know, I might consider at least having a section that sort of addresses these not MVC type things, right? These lower level frameworks, because, you know, React doesn't call itself an MVC framework. It says, I am just the view, I believe it is, right? We are just yeah, the that's right, in MVC, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, that's interesting. I will say this, you know, I'm doing a little bit of corporate training and definitely, there's just like every in every other spectrum there is a lot more angular j s uptake in that space right now, but I think if I had to do it again uh to answer the question a different way, I might consider just focusing on angular just for my sanity if that makes any sense, <laughs> or focusing on one framework, either angular or ember, you know like looking at them and saying, you know i'm committed to this i don't want to but I think that that would have um been a little wiser in hindsight let's put it that way because it's hard to go deep into uh three different things but i hope it's you know valuable to the community as well because i just don't want to trust somebody's blog post you know about it i really want to read you know opinions from both sides you know the pros and cons and decide for myself for my particular project you know what makes sense
3: right well my final question is will you please just tell me which one to use
2: (laughs) Tell me about more about your project. <laughs> nice. Is
1: the answer unfortunately yes. Yeah. Oh, that's not the fun answer
0: though. It's not. It's <laughs> well, not. I'm a consultant, I'll give you that answer. It depends. <laughs> 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 All right, well, should on. we uh should we do some picks? Dave, what Get are your picks? Tonight. Yes,
3: I have some somewhat unorthodox picks today because I spent the last week in Europe attending NG Europe, which was a great conference. And after that conference, I went over to Amsterdam. And I would like to pick the entire city of Amsterdam. This is a wonderful city that I thoroughly enjoyed. I love to ride my bike to work. And in Amsterdam, I have never enjoyed riding my bike more than any other place in the world than in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Totally pick the whole city. And there's a million other reasons why I just absolutely loved it. And my second pick on the uh, same vein is what the Dutch call, it's a food that they call the Stroopwaffel which I learned and maybe even pronounced right, it's this crispy little waffle that's like a sandwich. You'll just have to Google it. But it's like these two little wafer waffles that are uh, pressed together with a syrup between them, and they are so delicious that I would like to pick them.
1: Awesome.
0: Cool. Jameson, what are your it's picks? only one.
1: Now I feel like it has to be the best pick ever because there's been all this like build up to it. It's not the best pick ever. It's an okay pick. Uh, it's called Heilmeyer's Catechism. And I don't even, I have no earthly idea where I found this. Someone randomly linked me to it, I think. But it's basically a list of questions to ask yourself when you're trying to do something hard by this guy named George Heilmeier, who is the CEO of some company that I've never heard of called Belcour. I don't know if that's a big deal or not. Anyways, um, the questions are, what are you trying to do? Articulate your objectives using no jargon. How is it done today? What are the limits of the current practice? What's new in your approach? Who cares if you're successful, what difference will it make? What are the risks and the payoffs? How much will it cost? How long will it take? And how do you check for success halfway through and all the way through? And I like this idea of having a list of questions to kind of check yourself against when you're trying to do something difficult that you maybe haven't done before and you're not really sure how to do or what the measures of success are. So that's my pick. Nice.
0: AJ, what are your picks?
5: So I've got two of them. And they're basically the same thing. So there's this guy. His name is Feroz. And I met him while I was in San Francisco because uh, uh, my buddy I was there with, he knows him. But he has implemented BitTorrent in JavaScript. And so it's a, it's a little bit different because the way that the WebRTC stuff has to work, he had to do some some funny business. But he's got this demo up unfortunately it's not like super pretty or like it doesn't look it doesn't look really awesome right now but it is really awesome it's instant.io and you can just drag a file on to the the site and then share a link with someone And, and you know as many people as you're sharing a link with it starts web torrenting and it turns out that popcorn time which now that Blu-rays have advanced, and they have more anti-playable feature bug things. DRM. With them. I what? A, yeah. Description is well. Now they've started on Blu-rays. They've started putting fake playlists. Uh. So, like, there were ways to play a Blu-ray on a Mac before, and it would just read the playlist file and it would go through it. But the latest Blu-rays that I picked up from Redbox. I wasn't able to play on my Mac because they have so many fake playlist files that to determine like which one is the right one and then like put the command in so that it reads that one with the right sequence. You know, like I couldn't figure it out. So there's this popcorn time, which if you ever, you know, rent a movie from Redbox and discover that you can't play it because it's got so much crap on it, is actually built with Node WebKit and WebTorrent, which is what this guy that did Instant.io made. And it allows you to watch movies in a distributed fashion. It's as easy and as beautiful as Netflix and much quicker download speeds and better quality movies in my experience. So those are the two things that I think are awesome. Awesome.
0: Joe, what are your picks?
4: All right. I've got three picks. The first is a couple of talks that were given. The first one is by Pete Hunt, where he gave a talk called a uh, be predictable, not correct that he gave at Mountain West JS this last year, and he's a big uh, React guy. So he talks a lot about React, but the topic of the talk itself is really more about some kind of fundamental computer science issues, which I found to be very interesting. And he references another talk, which I've watched before, and I know has been picked on the show before, but I would like to pick it again because it's one of those talks that I feel like everybody should watch, and it's called Simple Made Easy.
0: Is that Rich find-
4: yeah, I believe so.
3: Yep, good yeah. one.
4: Yeah, just a, a a fantastic talk that really every developer should take time to watch. And my final pick is going to be an expansion for a kind of a it's a card game called Masquerade, which I know I've picked the game here before, but the expansion just came out for it. Played it with some people a couple of days ago, had a fantastic, awesome time. It's a great expansion. In the Masquerade game, you basically have a card in front of you that identifies a personality or a a, a persona, and each persona has different powers, and your whole goal is to try to get a certain amount of gold, and the person who gets to a certain amount of gold first wins, and you pass these masks around. The card represents a mask, and you pass the masks around, and you don't necessarily know who you are because your mask is turned face down. And so it's a kind of a combination of some luck, bluffing, and strategy. And it's a great game, very easy to learn, plays pretty quick usually, but lots of fun. And this expansion has just been really cool because it adds like another nine or 12 uh, different masks or personas, you might call them. Great game, very fun, very cheap as well. Basic games like 20 bucks, then the expansion's 15. So that'll be my final pick.
0: Awesome. I'm going to just give one pick really quickly, and that is a book I've been rereading. It's called Virtual Freedom by Chris Ducker. I think I've picked it on the show before. But it just talks about all of the different ways that you can outsource parts of your business so that you can focus on the core of things and do all of the things in life that you want to do, like hang out with family and stuff like that. So I'm going to pick that. I guess I should pick my awesome assistant as well. Mandy is super helpful, does a lot of stuff for the shows and a lot of stuff for me. And so uh, if you want to go hire, her, you can go to devreps.com and check her out. Hey, um, Mandy! And those are my picks. Craig, what are your picks?
2: I've been waiting to do this one for a while. You guys have to pick them every week. See, I, I get to save up picks for a while. But <laughs> I just want to remind everybody first, if, you know, what we talked about was interesting to you, hits home to you, you know, if you feel like you want to find out more about the book, go to uh, funnyantant.com slash jabber. And I'll have for a month or so a 20% discount up there. If you're, you know, not sure, there's a sample chapter you can download. There's a, you know, a short mailing list where I send you about five or six emails that you can jump on that pops up in the in the bottom right corner hopefully in an unobtrusive way um, so go check that out as far as you know more uh, fun picks here so i believe this has been picked on the show before but readyplayer1.com by ernest klein it's a, a fiction book written and the reason i had to pick this is because someone on the show i believe might have been Derek bailey somebody like that had uh had mentioned this before it's a great sort of Throwback to the eighties book, um, has a lot of eighties pop culture references. But the funny thing I realized after uh Derek mentioned it to me and then someone at one of the JavaScript users groups informed me that I graduated in the same high school class as this the author of this book, uh, which is very popular among you know the tech crowd and the geek crowd or whatever. So I thought had to pick that one.
1: So by the transitive pop property of popularity, you are it also makes me, very popular.
2: That that makes me cool somehow. Congratulations. Indirectly. Yeah, that's exactly no, but I really was enjoying the book. I'm about halfway through and uh enjoy it. It's a very good book. So the another pick was uh it's kind of very funny site. I, I frequent uh, producthunt.com, which uh you know basically people upvote everybody's little app idea. And uh about a month ago I saw this uh please help rule which is a pretty hilarious site. It's uh you go to it and basically you ask you a couple like two questions, like how thug are you feeling and how emotional are you feeling. And then depending on how you answer those questions, it will play you a, a jaw rule song from the 1990s. And, uh, it's, it's quite fun to, uh, to mess around with. And, uh, I also wanted to pick nathanberry.com slash authority. So the book, book I wrote is a self-published book. And basically I was inspired by Nathan Berry, who's a designer who, um, self-published his own book online. And he wrote a book then eventually, of course, a meta book about how to self-publish books after he wrote.
0: Like the web app design That's handbook. The
1: final stage of book writing.
2: That's right. <laughs> the final
0: form. I've actually read Authority. It is really good.
2: Yeah. And it actually, to support him, you should buy it on the site. But if you're a paper book person, he does have it. It released it recently on uh, Amazon.com as well. Um, so you can get a physical copy if you're interested. Um, But it's, it's a, uh, it's not too long of a book, but it definitely kind of inspires you to think. I don't know. I've known many people over the years who have written books for big publishers. And, you know, they say, you know, all I got out of it was, you know, famous or whatever. And I, I think that that would be great if if the world changed so that that wasn't the case
0: for technical authors. And that's it for my picks. All right. I have one other announcement. Um We are doing our JavaScript mobile roundup where you can come and talk to or come listen to some of the implementers of some of these mobile hybrid app frameworks talk about building hybrid apps. It's going to be on Wednesday, which if you get this the day it comes out is today and it will be this afternoon. So if you text mobile JS to 38470, or if you go to JavaScript power up or jspowerup.com, I'll have it up by then. Then you can get, uh, you can get all the details there and that's it i I don't think we have any other announcements so we'll wrap up the show we'll catch you all next week and thanks for coming craig yeah it was great to be a, a big fan of the show so keep up the good work guys this episode is sponsored by mad glory you've been building software for a long time and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming work piles up hiring sucks and it's hard to get projects out the door check out mad glory they're a small shop with experience shipping big products